My good people, greetings. How are we? What is happening? How was your weekend? Hope it was tremendous and that your Monday and week is off to a fantastic start as I deliver everything that's happening in the sports landscape on this week's edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For those listening for the very first time or tuning in to what it is to have to say about the world of sports, I welcome you guys aboard and thank you very much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who've been with me from episode one to now episode 73, I welcome you guys back here on a Monday, June the 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2019. That's right. We're already into the sixth month of the year and uh, summer is just 17 days away. So let us all rejoice as I discuss what happened Saturday night, Madison Square Garden, as we have a new heavyweight champion the first Mexican-American ever to win the heavyweight belt, three in this case, and that is Andy Ruiz Jr. We'll get into what happened with Anthony Joshua, who seemed to be indestructible, but certainly came crashing down there in the canvas at the world's most famous arena. We'll talk about the Mets and Yankees bullpens. No, we're not going to compare them, but how both of them, uh, at this stage of the year, how in the long term, could be bad for either one, and we all know the Met bullpen is bad, but for the Yankees, I'm sure the Yankee fans are probably saying, huh, what are you talking about, Jay Reels? Well, yes, I want to talk about this Yankee bullpen, more so for the long term than the short term. We'll also talk about the Stanley Cup final where we have a game four tonight in St. Louis where the Bruins could take a commanding 3-1 series lead as they're just two wins from winning their second cup this decade. But we'll start off this uh, podcast with the NBA and a game two that took place last night in Toronto. The scene up there has been just wild. The fans have been berserk. It's been an electric crowd, and they've been entertaining these first two games. Sadly, they were not able to get the home court as Golden State had taken it away from them yesterday in just an impressive third quarter. And when you look at the heart of a champion, as we've talked about here on this podcast in the past, especially in that series against Houston, the conference semifinal in the West, when you have guys on your team like Andre Iguodala, even a guy like Alfonso McKinney, who didn't contribute much but certainly made some shots, Quinn Cook, a guy who had three big three-pointers late in that third into the fourth quarter of this game, when you have Kevon Looney, a real big glue guy on the team, out with an injury, when you have Clay Thompson, as we all know, one of the Splash Brothers and one of the core members of this Warrior run and this Warrior team, leaving with a hamstring injury, We know Kevin Durant hasn't been in the mix. So when you have these players, not including Draymond Green, not including Steph Curry, who we all know are the heartbeats, the blood and guts, the brains of this operation when it comes to the personnel on the court. But it's the other guys that I mentioned that are certainly going to piece together a victory in the way they did last night and and held on, I should say, considering that they had a 12-point lead with about five minutes to go, and they weren't able to score a basket until Iguodala's key three-pointer that iced the game at 109-104. And all you could say, if you're a Warrior hater, or even more so a Warrior fan, is that no matter how far the chips may fall, they seem to pick them up, put them on the table, scramble them around, piece it back together, and are able to continue this pedigree of greatness here in year five of this run. And I understand that you don't want to hear that today. You want to look at it more so from a standpoint of maybe even the Raptors losing this game, considering at 106-98, where it seemed like for an eternity they were missing big shot after big shot, whether it was Van Vliet or even Leonard trying to attempt, I don't want to say hero ball, but 
try to get back in this game by making some threes, and they certainly weren't falling until you got the three late Danny Green to make it 104-101. Oh, I'm sorry, 106-104. And that's when you thought, hey, there was a glimmer of hope. But when you have this Warrior team, and it seems like whenever they have a situation where they know that they need to get a big basket or a big defensive stop, or just look at that last possession when Iguodala made that three, how in the hell did Sean Livingston was able to get that ball where Curry was dribbling out of desperation, and as he passes it over to Livingston, Kawhi Leonard had a beat on it. It was almost as if it was a cornerback in the NFL ready to intercept the pass, but somehow, some way, Livingston's long arms got in the way, impeded the path of Leonard, caught it, threw it over to a wide-open Iguodala. There was nobody in that, even, in that area code. And he was able to drain that three, and the Warriors go on to get the split that they sorely needed, and now they have the home court as they go back to Oracle for a Game 3 Wednesday and a Game 4 on Friday. And that comes on the heels of a Game 1 where we all know is the Siakam game, as a lot of people are calling it now. Pascal Siakam, 14 for 17, 32 points. Even Marcus Gasol and what he contributed, the 20 points in that game. And when you have efforts like that, it's going to be hard to beat any team. But a team that has a game in their building and those role players that step up, and I understand that they're not role players because Gasol and Siakam are starters, but... When you're getting big-time contributions from those two players, it's going to be hard to lose. And that came on a game where Kawhi Leonard wasn't even, he was average. But you also got to look at the Warriors being rusty off 10 days. And it's not an excuse, it's just a fact. When you haven't played in 10 days, and you could scrimmage all you want, you could role play all you want, but it's certainly not the same type of speed, atmosphere, energy, etc. And as I mentioned from the top, when you have the crowd that, the North had, Scotiabank Arena, Jurassic Park, I mean, everything. The whole town of buzz. And that was a tough spot for the Warriors to go in there and try to win. And as you can see, they were slow front, right out of the gate. Everybody in, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody in Raptorland was certainly flying and ready to go, as you saw by the performances of the aforementioned Siakam and Gasol in particular. But then you knew the Warriors were going to bounce back. And of course, when you look at Gasol and Siakam, they came crashing back down to earth in this game. There's no other way to cut it. Now, you knew that Siakam wasn't going to have another 32-point game in him, especially on the heels of what took place there Thursday night. But you figured that whatever contribution he was going to bring, even if it was in the 20s or high teens, and even though he did get that, but certainly was not as efficient and as effective and as dominating as he was in that first game. And the same goes for Gasol. Freddie Van Fleet made another contribution, especially since the middle of that Eastern Conference final with Milwaukee. He certainly turned it on, but 7 for 17, he had 17 points. Certainly didn't put his fingerprints all over this game. Kawhi was brilliant as always, 16 for 16 from the free throw line. He had 34 and 14 in the game, but it certainly wasn't enough. And now you're looking at a series where can Golden State go to Oracle and win one game? Absolutely. I think they can. The main thing is, is that they have the three-day layoff, just like they did from games one to two. You have the same here going from two to three. So with the Warriors and how nicked up they are, we know about Durant and who knows what his 
status is going to be for game three. You saw him in the locker room or right outside the locker room in the tunnel toward the end of the game. Not even in uniform, but pretty much in street clothes. Walking around. Couldn't really get a sense if he's hobbling or if he's... I mean, listen, you would think even with a strained calf, you're going to be hobbling a little bit. But you certainly couldn't get any any indication for what you saw there at the end of the game as the camera was uh, backstage, so to speak. We don't know about Kevon Looney. He has either a chest or shoulder injury. Who knows how he's going to respond over the course of the next two days. And Clay Thompson even more so. Thompson, who had a hot start to this game, 25 points. And remember, speaking of hot starts, they certainly didn't come out of the gate the way they did in game uh, one, but they certainly came out of the gate here game two, but then they somehow righted the ship there. They were able to come back there right before the halftime, and then we all know the 18-0 run that started that third quarter, which pretty much, I'm not going to say sealed the game, but certainly took control, and they were able to hang on and win the game as we saw. But now the injuries, whether it's Looney, Thompson, Iguodala, who suffered the Injury in game one, obviously he came back in big fashion as we saw there toward the end of the game and still made some big shots throughout the course of that run. But can Golden State win another game? I think they can. The key factor for me for Golden State is that they're going to need to have that second guy step up. Kyle Lowry fouled out yesterday, did make a three there late, but certainly he's not the same player. He's not a guy that... In stretches, he could carry you. I don't want to say he could carry you. It's a little strong. He has stretches where he plays well and can score, but he's just not consistent. And now that you're going to go to Oracle as the scene shifts to the West Coast, they're going to need that second guy and even a third guy, whether or not this Warrior team is going to be healthy because, let's face it, the Warriors, as we know, when they go on those hot streaks, they're unstoppable. And now they're going to be in their building, their crowd, And the Warriors are going to have to match that. Now, can Freddie Van Vliet step up and match that? Can Siakam do anything close to what he did in game one? Can Gasol? I'm not saying he has to give you 20, but can he give you anywhere between 12 to 14? That's what you're going to need to win another game there. Because it can't be all Kawhi. Kawhi can't take 35 to 40 shots and will them to win. Can he do it? Yes. But you're not looking to rely on him solely, especially with that setting, that crowd, and a little home cooking. And we we know the Warriors at home, they could be flat here. We've seen that. Now, we haven't seen it here in the last few rounds. But look what happened in the Clippers series in round one. Did they take them lightly? Meh, maybe a little bit. Remember, they lost a, they had a 30-some-odd point lead in game one or was a game two against the Clippers and lost that and then they lost a game five when they could have closed them out at Oracle so can they lose these absolutely they're not invincible in that building but you're figuring that it's a final we understand the status of these guys we don't know what's going to happen here whether we're going to see Clay Thompson he says he's going to be ready and Why doubt him? I mean, the guy's been as durable as any player in the NBA. Durant, you don't know just yet. Looney, now we understand he's a glue player, but you want to have those guys in there. So we'll see. It's going to be fascinating from that regard where you're going to have the three days off. And then remember, game four is 48 hours after that. 
So this is the only time this series where you're going to get a game or you get two games that are pretty much, they're not back-to-back, of course, but for the NBA Finals, there's not a quick turnaround. Where a week from today, you're going to have a Game 5 back in Toronto, which is a guarantee. And then if necessary, Game 6 the following Thursday. And then that Sunday, a Game 7 in Toronto if it goes that far. I think this series is going to go... It's going to go be a long series, I would think. I picked the Warriors in six to start. I thought Toronto was going to put up a good fight. And so far, you got to be impressed. Could they have won that game yesterday? They could have. Out of the, I mean, shouldn't they have won? No, I don't think they should have won. Because the Warriors pretty much had the second half in control. Like I said, they closed out the first half strong. Remember, they were down. Off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. They were down, by, I think, 13 with about three and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. And they were able to cut it to five at halftime. And then the Warriors, uh, the Raptors went ice cold. They didn't score a bucket the first six minutes of the third quarter. And that proves to be the difference. And even though down the stretch, like I mentioned earlier, they weren't able to hit a key shot when they were down by eight from that three-minute mark to about the one-and-a-half-minute mark. They had chances. They weren't able to capitalize. So you got to give it up. Raptors have played well here. But now it's going to be a whole other animal. Going out there. I can see them splitting. The good thing is next Monday we could talk about, we could preview a game five. See where the series takes us. Who knows? I mean, obviously you're going to get one of three scenarios a week from today. You're either going to get 3-1 Golden State, 3-1 Toronto, or even at two. I hope it's even at two. I think it's going to be even at two. I think Toronto will steal one of these games. Which one? I don't know. Uh, you would think that Golden State, who has not played a home game, it seems like in three months. Because remember, they swept the Blazers in the previous round. And they won, was it? They Their game one was... The game one, I believe, was on a Tuesday. Wasn't that the night of the draft lottery? Well, that may actually may have been game two. No, that was game one. Because then game two was Thursday, and then game three Saturday. Right, so they haven't played. So think about that. Two days after the lottery, which was what, the 13th? Let me think off the top of my head as I'm calculating all this. So they're going to play in their building this Wednesday, which will be the 5th. So it's probably about 19 days, almost 20 days since they've had a home game. So you know they're going to be chomping at the bit, and that crowd's going to be ready to go. So that's going to be a tough chore for the Raptors to overcome. I mean, can they do it? Of course. But who knows? The likelihood of maybe winning could be the game four, despite the fact that they're going to have the quick turnaround too, but who knows with the injuries that they're nursing. Will the Warriors come up a little slow in that game four? Remains to be seen, obviously. But just things to chew on between now and then as we continue to... Find out who is going to hoist the Lawrence O'Brien trophy over the heads. But we're only two games in. We've still got plenty of basketball to go. But so far, it's been pretty good. Now, we'll turn our attention to the other final right now. Because other basketball news and notes, not really to report. Nothing really to say, if you ask me. But the NHL Stanley Cup Finals, now you have a pivotal game four tonight in St. Louis. Where the Bruins have certainly... Put their stamp on this series, especially after a resounding Game 3 victory 
uh, pretty much, and I could go game by game, but pretty much the storyline of this final is twofold. One, Jordan Binnington, the goalie of St. Louis, has been awful. And not because of what happened there on Saturday night. He was even awful in Boston. Giving up soft goals left and right. Forget about the game the other night. I mean, he was just, I mean, what could you say? Pulled after the fifth goal, halfway through the second period. So he certainly has not done the job. And then the other thing is, is the Bruin power play has just been unstoppable. They've scored a power play goal in seven straight games. Not only that, but on Saturday night, you can't get any better than this. Four for four in their power play uh, opportunities on four shots. That's it. That's all you need to know about game number three. And the fourth line played big in game one. As they win 3-2, they were down 2 nothing in the game. Or 4-2, excuse me, because they got an empty net late with uh, Brad Marchand. But they were down 2 nothing in that game. And pretty much since then, it's been, I'm not going to say all Bruins, because they did lose a game two in overtime, which they actually could have lost in regulation. I know that shot, uh, Carl Gunderson, he hit the post there with about two minutes to go, and then he gets the winner in overtime. But the Bruins, despite that little hiccup in game two, I mean, what could you say? They've just been phenomenal here in this, in this not only just in the postseason, but obviously in this final. Charlie Coyle has made, had a couple goals already in the series, made huge contributions. Tory Krug with that awesome check that he had in the first game, obviously power play goal the other night. David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, what can I, you can just go down the line. I know Zdeno Char has looked all but his 42 years of age. And you would think, I said this last week, you would think this is going to be it for him. And especially if they win. I mean, why not you know, skate off into the sunset if you're uh, Zdeno Chara, 42 years old, another cup, captain of this team. I mean, what more can you do at this point in your career? But the Blues, now they have the, the, they have the talent. The Blues, you would think, will come back in the series and can win a game tonight, and they're going to have to because if not, they're going to go back to a – Game five in Boston, where they're going to be pre-gaming for the coronation. The thing is, is where's Bennington's head right now? Is Jake Allen going to be the guy that's going to come in and save the day here for a game four? Now, Bennington, listen, he, he's brought them all the way to this point. And I understand you just can't say sayonara, but you have to win this game. This is a must win for St. Louis tonight. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. And Bennington has been terrible. I, if, if you could look at game three and say it was just that one game, fine. But he's had soft goal after soft goal. Puck's going through the five hole. Just bad reads. Oh, what could you say? Your goalie is the guy that's going to, as we've seen it time and time again in playoff hockey, not to say you got to ride the hot goalie, but your goalie has to play well, and he has not done that. And Craig Berube has a very interesting decision to make. I would think he's going to go with Bennington tonight, and you can't fault him. But you know he's going to have a quick hook. If the Bruins get out the gate, one nothing. all right, you're going to get – if it's 2 nothing, you may have to tell this kid, listen, I'm going to have to pull you here. Because they cannot afford to get into a deep hole and try to dig out of it knowing that they're staring at a – Game five in Boston, down 
You know, and some of their players got to step up too. I know Pat Maroon, even in that game uh, that they won, you know, got on the score sheet. And I know he had a couple opportunities there on Saturday night, but yeah, he's a big guy on their team. He's going to have to play better in order for them to get to a game four or get to a game five tied 2-2. You know, the kid who had the big game against San Jose, the kid Schwartz who had a big series there against San Jose, he's going to have to step up. And the Blues right now, it's do or die. Because the Bruins right now, when you score seven goals in the Stanley Cup final game, that's big time. And you can't afford to give them any more power play goals because they are just clicking on the power play. So tonight, big game. Obviously, huge game for St. Louis. It's all hands on deck. You just hope that if Bennington's going to be in net, he's going to give you a great performance. If he gives you a great performance and they lose, then unfortunately got to live with it. But he can't come to this point to all of a sudden just let him down. And I don't want to put it all on the goalie. We understand it's a team game. We understand some of their big goal scorers are going to have to make plays and step up. But at the same time, your goalie is just an enormous part of this whole equation. And who knows what he's going through. I don't want to say he's something's going on off the ice or what have you, but you know, you just only hope that he can refocus, get themselves back in the series, and bring it back to Boston for Game 5. Because who knows? The series could be over by the time uh, we get to a Game 4 in an NBA Final. So that's what you got there with the hockey. Nothing else pretty much to report with the hockey stuff. But uh, yeah, this is it. This is the final stretches here of an NBA and NHL season. Of course, we're going to usher baseball a lot more as we get later into the month and then, of course, into July and August. But uh, that is all it pretty much is to report when we're talking about both the NBA and NHL. Now, I know Craig Berube, the coach of the Blues, was crying foul there a little bit. The old Phil Jackson routine where didn't really say much about the penalties, but wasn't crazy about the officiating. Who knows if he's going to get fined for that, but trying to put the pressure on the officials to maybe get some home calls so that St. Louis could get some power plays, which is smart on Baruby. Listen, whatever's going to work at this stage of the game to try to get the refs on your side, then do it, even if it's going to cost you twenty five grand. So we'll see how that plays out tonight. But now as we uh, turn our attention to baseball, and the Yankees had a big series against the Red Sox. They had the one game rained out there on Thursday. But we had beautiful weather here in New York over the weekend. Memorial Day week, Yankees win two out of three against San Diego. No shock there. You had James Paxton come back into the rotation. He only pitched four rings on the game on Wednesday, the afternoon game, but the Yankees were able to prevail as they took two out of three against San Diego. But the Red Sox series, was a, everybody was looking forward to, considering the Yankees came into the series up seven and a half games. So on the Friday night game, Chris Sale on the mound, who's pitched better, although his record was one and five going into the game. Remember, he got off to that real slow start, but now he seems to be Chris Sale, although he's not 100% of what, we, what you normally see out of him. Oh, but although he struck out 10, but six innings, four runs, seven hits, DJ LeMahieu, as I've said time and time again over the last, it seems like, month, you have so many guys pitching in with their key members of the team out, whether it's DJ LeMahieu, Gio Urshela, Tyro Estrada, you know, all these guys. And they do not skip a beat. And then, of course, you sprinkle in a little Sanchez, 
with a clutch two run homer there in the Saturday night game off Rick Porcellos. They win 5 3. In the opening game, they win 4 1. And then last night, they end up losing. First time they lost to the Red Sox all year. Now, this is only the fifth time they played them. And you're going to see a lot of the Red Sox in the days and weeks to come. And, of course, at the end of the month, two of the games are going to be in London, which we'll talk about as we get closer to that. But the Yankees, and you figured that would have been prime. They would have been prime for a sweep considering that David Price is on the mound. And as we all know, the Yankees are kryptonite to David Price, especially over the last few years. And David Price, give it up, six and a third, two runs for him against the Yankees. That is, that's dominant. And not to say he was dominant, but you get my point, Yankee fans. But the Red Sox had the fortune of some bad play by Clint Frazier, who's not a good fielder, and I'm being nice. I'm being kind, and you just saw what he did there, whether it was balls skipping past him, balls thrown in the infield, diving for balls we shouldn't be diving for. I mean, that was a video to show the kids of what not to do in right field. And I understand his bat is can be lethal he's a good stick quick stick we all know that but if his defense is going to continue to play that way he's certainly going to be out of the lineup once judge gets back but the Yankees were able to get two out of three and like I mentioned the before about all the contributions that they've been getting and of course you know Gleyber Torres it seems to cool down a little bit here especially after not seeing Oriole pitching for a while and we all know he murders the Oriole pitching but the one thing about the Yankees, and I'm going to say this to the Yankee fans, not to throw cold water, and we understand, you know, they've won nine straight series. To think they started off eight and ten, the Yankees, and since then, they are 31 and 10. So, give it up. They've been phenomenal throughout the stretch. Number kudos. But the one thing that, if I'm a Yankee fan, that I would worry about is their bullpen. And I know everybody's probably falling out of their chairs right now, especially the Yankee fans laughing at me. Say, what are you, crazy Jay Reels? You see what this bullpen's doing, whether it's Adovino, whether it's Britton coming around. We know even with Batanza's out, Tommy Canely has stepped in. Chad Green's been more of an opener recently, although he's been bad the whole entire year. But in these openers, he's actually been okay. And we haven't even talked about our oldest Chapman. So, Reels, do you know what you're talking about? Well, put this in your pipe, Yankee fans, and smoke it because... The one thing that you have to worry about, I understand that this starting pitching is not great. Tanaka's hit or miss. Herman has come back down to earth a little bit. CC, although pitched, for him, pitched well, didn't walk anybody, but got the loss, and CC's only going to give you five, six innings as it is. Paxton's just getting back into the rotation. Hap, who's, mm, he's been average, despite the performance there on Friday night. But, This bullpen, I'm sorry, over the course of a long season, you cannot tax it, especially when it's all about October. And we know Aaron Boone and the analytics and all that, so we've got to factor that in. There are going to be plenty of times throughout the course of the season, and we just got into June, where even with Tampa, who's a couple games back, and with the Boston Red Sox eight-and-a-half game back as it is today, We know that this manager, who we can't trust, will certainly get to a point in this season where he's going to, I'm not going to say he's overused, but he's going to overtax 
and going to rely too much on this bullpen. Now, we know that there's going to be stretches where the bullpen's going to be awful. But at the same time, they have so much depth in there that you could hide it. So, right, so that means if Chad Green is bad, then Tommy Canley steps in. And it's going to be stretches where Canley's bad, but then Ottavino's going to be dominant. And there's going to be times where Ottavino's bad, and then it's Britain. And then when Batanzas comes, I mean, listen, they have an embarrassment of riches in the bullpen. I get that. But the, my worry, and as we all know, I am not a Yankee fan in the least. But the one thing that would concern me is this bullpen being overused and being overtaxed for a regular season that we understand it's meaningful and they want to win a division and they don't have to worry about a wild card. But what about October? As we all know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm not trying to say that you can't use these guys because they're professionals and that they're obviously they're well versed in what they do as far as their conditioning, training, etc. But and I, I'm saying this and now in June because I don't want to hear it in August or late July and August when they're slumping and they're not pitching well. Like, oh, my God, you know, look at this team. This bullpen isn't the same. All you got to think is look what happened last year. That bullpen was not the same come October. Now, granted, they were chasing the Red Sox all summer, and we get that, and it'll be totally different if the teams are chasing them. But again, look what the manager is. Do you trust this guy in a huge spot? Do you, I mean, you could already see that, oh, I could rely on this guy. Oh, I'm going to jump the gun. And especially with a starting rotation that is not stacked. If your rotation was stacked and you had this bullpen, then I wouldn't even say a, I wouldn't peep a syllable about it. But you do have to concern yourself. And you do have to wonder down the road, what does Yankee bullpen, all the innings that they'll log, and the stressful pitches, if you want to call it, because now that's a thing here in 2019 when it comes to analytics or stressful innings, stressful pitches, whatever you want to call it. All these things are factored in, especially when it comes to October. So you want to be primed. You want to be ready. They're going to be prepared mentally. We all know that. And again, October is a ways to go. But when you're seeing the bullpen go five and a thirds without giving up a run or coming in in the sixth inning. They can't do that every night of the season. You want to get some length from your starters. And you would only hope, and you would think that Cash was going to make a move at some point to get a starter here, whether it's going to be Madison Bumgarner, you know, somebody of that ilk. That remains to be seen, or even Dallas Keuchel, which we'll get to in a little bit. But if you're the Yankees, everything is in cruise control. You're happy as a lark. You're just waiting for your guys to come back. I just read something a little while ago that baseball activities are going to start to get ramped up when it comes to guys like Aaron Judge. Giancarlo's been up and down with one injury after another, but he's also going to start ramping up as well. So you're going to look forward to getting some of these guys back here. And again, it's a long season. There's going to be those stretches where This bullpen is not going to be up to snuff. But you've been warned, Yankee fans. Just keep that in the back of your mind. I know you could say, ah, yeah, whatever, J. Reels. You're just a Met fan trying to find any bucket of cold, you know, ice water to throw on the Yankee victory parade. I'm just being real. And I'm sure the diehard, die-in-the-wool objective Yankee fans probably thinking, you know what? I knew about that or I had a feeling about that. Or, you know what, J. Reels? That's a good point. That's all I'm saying here. Because as we all know, they're not going to be lights out from here through October. That's not happening. 
I'm just pointing this out now, here in June, because when you get to the dog days of the summer, and when Canley's getting knocked around the ballpark, and when Chapman's throwing the ball to the backstop, and Batances comes back and he's slow to get himself back 100%, and Adovino's hanging sliders, then you're going to start, oh yeah, what J-Real said back in June, you know what, okay, I got you. So that's a deal with the Yankees, as they have Toronto for the first time they play, and you get to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So they go up to Toronto and Cleveland before next Monday at home against the Mets. Oh, boy. Got to deal with that next week. And speaking of the Mets, what could have been a very successful road trip where they would have split four in L.A. and won two of three in Arizona which would have compounded with a 6-1 and homestand, which would have made it a 10-4 and 14-game stretch. And I understand that homestand they had last week, or two weeks ago now, where they went 6-1, and where they faced a national bullpen that probably I could be the 7th or 8th inning guy, and a Tiger team that has been flailing, and that the Mets had to fight tooth and nail to win two of those games. And I get that, that. It wasn't the most impressive 6-1 homestand, but still, they could have come away with the stretch 10-4 and and feeling a lot better about themselves, especially with the Dodgers sweeping Philly this weekend, which would have inched closer to the top of the NL East. But be that as it may, the Met bullpen, as we know, it's a flaming disaster. What you saw there Wednesday night in L.A., a game that they absolutely should have won. Leading 8-5, to five, where Diaz comes in and absolutely does not get an out. And I understand he got the out with the sack fly, which led to the game-winning run. Right, But to me, he couldn't get anybody out. It was home run, home run, double, double. It, just, it was batting practice. And I get that if you're Edwin Diaz, that you're going to blow saves. Everybody blows saves. Even Mariano blows saves. But the bottom line is, when you have a three-run lead, if you blow a save... That you come in in the eighth inning and you blow it in the ninth because you're overworked. Okay, we get that. Or if you have a one-run save, you come in and you blow it. All right, understood. Two runs, eh, three runs, come on. And he certainly didn't have it that night. And that was just a brutal kick to the gut loss that the Mets should have had. And then the crazy thing is you follow up the next night when you have Jason Vargas, you think he's going to get tattooed throughout the ballpark, and especially with you know, four pitches in, he's already down one nothing, and he goes seven innings just giving up that one run. But the Mets lose to Hyunjin Ryu, who is probably the NL Cy Young Award winner on June 3rd. And the Mets lose three out of four in L.A. <clears throat> Excuse me, they barely won a game on Friday night where they had to have Carlos Gomez be the hero and win that game as they had to come from behind. And then to make matters worse, the bullpen rears its ugly head once again on Saturday night. And the sad part is that Jacob DeGrom, who after four innings, oh no, what was it? After five innings, had thrown only 47 pitches. And as he left the game in the seventh at six and two-thirds, it was at 89 pitches, but there was an issue with his hip. I know he wanted to stay in the game. But they took him out. Familia came in, promptly got him out, and you're thinking, all right. So now Familia somehow, some way, could just get through the eighth, win that game, or win the first two games of this 
series against the Diamondbacks and hopefully try to get a sweep. But what you saw was more ineptitude by Familia. Gaselman comes in and throws more gasoline to the fire. Adam Jones takes him deep. And then you just knew it was just a matter of time that the Mets in extra innings were going to lose the game. I mean, Mets couldn't muster a base runner, let alone any type of threat offensively, a rally, anything. And then yesterday, what could you say? Cattell Marte, who just killed him all weekend, killed him even more. Steven Matz didn't have it. Mets lose 7-1 in the desert, so they lose the back two of this seven-game road trip, 2-5, and five, as they limp home to play the San Francisco Giants, who are just as bad, if not worse. I know worse as far as the standings are concerned, but with them in Colorado coming up this week, before they take the trip from Queens to the Bronx next Monday, this is what you have. And one thing, I got to get this from my man Evan Roberts, and he made an excellent point. When you look at what happened there Wednesday night, and the Mets were trying to get a game over 500 at that point. Because remember, they left last Sunday after the Detroit game. They were at 500. They lose the game Monday night to the Dodgers. Then they ended up getting the victory the following night with Conforto hitting the Grand Slam, his first ever. And then they lose that game. It could have been above 500 if they would have won that game that Diaz blew. That didn't happen. And now they come home, they're three games under. And what Evan said, and I think could possibly be right, is that we may never see 500 ever again. And I get that if you're Brody Van Wagenen, you're going to look at all, hey, you know, we were 20 and 25 before the series against the Nationals and we ended up coming back to 500. All right, I get that. But again, look at that homestand. Thanks to the national bullpen and that the Tigers were just awful and the Mets had to do everything possible to win two of those three games, that's why we got back in the mix. Now, can we do some damage against the Giants? Let's hope. I know you have Syndergaard and Bumgarner tomorrow, which would be fascinating. Bumgarner, we know his record at City Field is, is near perfect. So who knows that, how that's going to go. And Syndergaard hasn't been great, as we know. And he didn't really pitch well in that game against the Dodgers, although he did settle down and was able to get the win last Tuesday night. You just can't trust this Matt team. You can't. Because they don't have a long winning streak in them, despite the fact that their starting pitching, which is supposed to be their strength, has not been their strength this year. As I said a few weeks ago, the team is not the script. Like, what is their biggest strength? We don't know. We know it's not their bullpen. Their offense, they've gotten contributions. You know, Dom Smith has been just the true soldier on this team. They had the big home run to make it 5-1 their Saturday night, but it was off a naught. Todd Frazier, who was batting a buck 46, who upped his average over 100 points. Give him credit. He's done fine. He's hit 360 over the last 13 games or so. Rosario, he's cold after going through a hot stretch. Pete Alonso hit a couple home runs in LA. He has 19 here as we're getting to the month of June. McNeil hasn't come back. We're still waiting for him and his injury. You know, the Mets, their offense is, is it comes and goes like pretty much every other offense, it seems. But as I've said before, like what strength does this Met team have? They don't. And that's why they don't have any sustained winning success as far as streaks concerned or even winning series for that matter. And this is who they are. The old Bill Parcell saying, your record says what you are. And that was a paraphrase, of course. And then the other thing is too about the Mets before I move on to other things. So now that here we are into June 
And they're five games behind the Phillies, four games behind the Braves. We know that this team has teased us beyond belief. And who knows, watch them win two out of three, or dare I even say sweep the Nationals. Oh, excuse me, sweep the Giants. I can still have the Nationals on my brain. And the Nationals have actually played pretty well, too, uh, ever since that series. They've actually bounced back nicely, and they're actually nipping at the Mets' heels in the division for third place. Wow. But the Mets, if even if they were to win this series, and Colorado's played well, they've been on fire. What makes you think, what makes you believe that this team could somehow, some way, all right, well, if we win two out of three here, two out of three there, split against the Yankees, uh, you, know, you just don't see it. And now with, here we are like three months into, this is the third month now we're starting into the season, and no reinforcements in sight. I don't want to hear about Dallas Keuchel or even Craig Kimbrell for that matter because today's the draft. And after that, you don't have to worry about compensation as far as losing a draft pick is concerned. So if you want to sign any of these guys, I believe after tonight, because the draft is tonight, that you could go ahead and do so. And, you know, I got to hear Joe Beningo, oh, sign Craig Kimball. Oh, the Mets won't do it, but they need to have a guy like that. That's the last guy they need. Would he be nice to be on the team? Of course, because you need any type of bullpen help. But come on, you just brought this kid Diaz in. And he's had some hiccups here. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. But what are you going to tell this kid two and a half months into his Met tenure and say, well, all right, now you're going to be the eighth inning guy? And you're going to sign Kimbrell for one year? And you don't know what you're going to get out of Kimbrell. And the minute you bring him here and he blows a game, then you're going to be all you know on his case. So to me, that's just a lose-lose situation all around. And Keiko, he's more suited to sign with the Yankees than the Mets, despite the fact the Mets do not have any pitching depth. But this season, as I said a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to mince words, nor am I going to repeat myself, but until they put some sort of successful run together, and by that series, yes, it'd be nice to rip off seven, eight, nine, ten in a row, but that's not going to happen. Win series, and that's it. Look what the Yankees are doing. They're winning series, and the Yankees haven't had that long winning streak. Yankees haven't had all oh, they won eight in a row, nine in a row, ten. Remember that streak they had last year where they won eighteen out of nineteen, whatever it was, the best stretch that they had since Murderers Row, the twenties. Nobody's asking for that. But if you win series, just like what the Yankees are doing, then guess what? You're gonna not only move up in the standings, but your record's gonna look ten times better, as evidenced by the thirty one and ten stretch that the Yankees have just experienced. And that's it. What more can I say about this Met team? There isn't much. And one last thing before I even continue. And this would be nice if the manager could think about this right now. And I understand, oh, I got to take it game by game, so on and so forth. And I could get on the manager's case, and I haven't gotten his case that much. But I'm going to get on his case here because if he were to look into his crystal ball for next week, and I get that every game is important, and I get that he can't focus on the Yankees more so than the Giants or the Rockies or the Braves or the Phillies, I get that. But if the pitching staff, if the rotation as is right now moves into next Monday in the Bronx, you know who's going to start that Monday night game? Jason Vargas. The Tuesday night game will be Zach Wheeler. What he should do is skip Vargas' start. Okay? Because you have Syndergaard tomorrow, then you have Vargas would be Wednesday. So with no day off between... 
Wednesday and then next week because they have the two-game series against the Yankees and the day off, and I believe the Cardinals come in for four. So you have Syndergaard tomorrow, Vargas. Then you're going to follow that up with Wheeler Thursday, DeGrom Friday, Mats Saturday, and then obviously Syndergaard Sunday. So you're not going to see Syndergaard in the Yankee series. So why don't we just take Vargas out Wednesday, move up Wheeler to Friday, or move up Wheeler to Wednesday so he could pitch Monday, and then you have DeGrom, who is scheduled to pitch Thursday. He'll be on his regular rest to pitch Tuesday night in the Bronx. And you have a day off the following day, and you start Vargas that Thursday against the Cardinals. Is that too much to ask? Have everybody in regular rotation? But no, of course that's not going to happen because I'm sure he's going to look at it, well, Vargas has been pitching well. He's actually been a big improvement in his last few starts, which he has, and you can't knock that. But yeah, that'll go right out the window. Not only I could see Wednesday night against the Giants, but God forbid Yankee Stadium, he won't even get out of the third inning. So, Mickey, I know you're not listening, but if somebody who knows Mickey Calloway who's listening to this podcast or six degrees of separation, get the word to him to skip Vargas coming up here, please, because I do not want to see Vargas pitching in Yankee Stadium next Monday night. Do not. And then you have Wheeler to pitch Tuesday. Move Wheeler up a day. Have him pitch Monday night at Yankee Stadium, and then you have the Grom pitching Tuesday game on regular rest. That's it. Other baseball stuff. We'll see what happens with Kimbrell and Keuchel. I would think the Yankees are going to be a mix for Keuchel. Kimbrell, that could be Phillies or Braves. That's what you're hearing as far as where he may sign. But uh, again, we certainly got to wait and see how this uh, all plays out. And you would think, even if they were to sign, let's say by the end of the week, you're probably not going to see them for another couple of weeks. Because Kimbrell... As much as you hear Keiko working out, what has Kimball been doing? I'm sure he's doing the same and probably keeping a low profile, but still. Uh, let's see, what do we got with the baseball? Yeah, as far as the, as my watch this beep, as far as the league is concerned, I know I talked a little bit about the Phillies and uh, them getting swept in LA, and I know the Dodgers are just juggernaut right now. Or what could you say about them? They've just been on fire, winning games left and right. And they look like they're the best team in baseball. So we've seen the Dodgers on the stage. We've seen them perform in the regular season. Even last year, remember, it was 16-26 and 26 and went on to the World Series. We all know what happened there. But the Dodgers look like the team to beat as of right now. I know people in Houston may think otherwise. And even the people in the Bronx, they may say, oh, yeah, bring on the Dodgers. We'll take them. And that's going to be a fascinating series, which I believe is in August when the Yankees visit Chavez Ravine out in L.A. But the Rays who uh, had a tough weekend. They won the first game against the Twins. And then they lost the next three, and the Twins are looking like the juggernaut. And, of course, there's people in Minnesota who say, hey, but Dodgers, what about us? Give them credit. The Twins have just been phenomenal with all that power. And even their plus, they were plus 109 as far as runs differentials concerned. you got to give it up to them. They've certainly been, I'm not going to say a surprise. A lot of people thought that they were going to be a good team, but nobody thought they were going to be this good. But again, it's only June 3rd, so you can't get crazy. But credit to them. The Indians are going to have a long season. They're already on the 500. In fact, the White Sox have overtaken them, or they're tied for the division. And I said that about the White Sox. I said they were going to be a surprise team. Now, not a surprise team. They're going to be in the playoff mix, but because of their young core, all those trades that they made with the Red Sox, you know, bringing Moncada and uh, Eloy Jimenez and that trade for... Jose Quintana, they're starting to pay a little dividends there, so it's good to see them uh, try to rebuild. The, the way they rebuilt their team is good to see them try to 
just move up little by little, and hopefully they'll be a team to be reckoned with in the future, but certainly not this year. Houston has a comfortable lead, obviously, out in the West. As far as the National League is concerned, Braves are starting to play a lot better, and the Phillies have hit the skids. And who knows if the Phillies, will they ever have a... Here's my thing with the Phillies. Excuse me. They don't have a great bullpen. They're starting pitching other than Nolan. I'll give you Arietta. I won't say suspect, but it's questionable. Bryce, who's starting to come out of it a little bit here, as we know, has had a slow start, and they have a good lineup and a deep lineup. Is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough for them to win this division? Because the Braves are going to be hot on the heels. I don't think the Nationals, despite the fact that they played well, they're going to be in the mix. The Mets, <laughs> wait and see. But the Phillies, they're a team that, <clears throat> excuse me, should, I'm not going to say run away and hide with this division, but you would think that they would be the team that would be the favorite to win this division here on out. But you got Kapler there, who's a young manager. A team that certainly can play with the best of the other teams that are going on, you know, throughout the National League. But for whatever the reason, they just they just haven't seemed to. I'm not gonna say haven't clicked, but they have not seemed to take it off. And you wonder if the Phillies are ever gonna take off, or they're just gonna kind of lay in the weeds there until next thing you know, they're gonna be jumping up and down on the pitcher's mound, winning a division title by the slimmest of margins. Still a lot of baseball to be played, so but that's just my assessment of the Phillies. We talked about the Dodgers, the although the Rockies have played, I mean, they've been on fire. They've won eight in a row, but certainly haven't gained any ground with the way the Dodgers have played. And then the Central, that's arguably the best division with Milwaukee, Chicago, and St. Louis at the top. And to think, even the Reds in last place, but they're only six and a half games back of the lead. So that's what you got there in the Central. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, we have plenty of time to talk more baseball to get into that, especially as these championship series start to dwindle down, even though you have a lot of the NBA free agent talk and the draft and minicamp this week with the NFL, which I'll get into in a second. But baseball will be a plenty over the course of the next few months, and we'll get into that, obviously, as we move along here with this podcast. Quickly with the NFL stuff, I'm not going to get into a lot of the off-the-field stuff. I know the minicamp stuff is going to start next week. You have still some OTA stuff here over the course of the next three days. And then next week, I believe, what is it, 10th, 11th, 12th, that whole week or through the 14th is when you have the mandatory mini camps open up. So whether here in New York, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, who has been a lightning rod when it comes to that, even though, again, we get that it's been voluntary as far as the OTA is concerned, but there's a lot of concern considering he had not played football in a month. Why hasn't he shown up to be a part of this voluntary camp? Hey, if he doesn't have to be there, he doesn't have to be there, but you would think that he would want to introduce himself and be attuned to this team and what's going on, but he hasn't done so. But next week will be a lot of talk about that, I'm sure, especially amongst the media. Same for Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland. So to think, I I don't even want to think about football. because, But anyway, but you have that to shake a stick at. And then to close out, the Garden had a heavyweight fight. Certainly wasn't amongst the annals of Ali Frazier, but Anthony Joshua came in with all this hype, 22-0, and 21 knockouts, 6-6, chiseled physique, going up against a fighter in Andy Ruiz, who is the antithesis of Anthony Joshua, comes in six foot, 
out of shape. You could just see it throughout, and you kind of look at it and say, how does this guy have a chance against this behemoth of a fighter in Anthony Joshua, who a lot of people think that, who knows, could he be the next dominant figure in boxing? Well, for what it's worth, even though he got Ruiz early on, but for whatever, that, that just woke him up. Ruiz then took over that fight, knocked him down several times. That seventh round, I mean, I don't even know what to make of that. Okay, the first knockdown, you look at it, all right, he got up. Joshua, he seemed like he had all his bearings. He was fine. Then he takes another flurry, gets to the canvas on one knee, gets up, looks like he's fine. But then the referee just says, "Uh uh-uh. And I don't know if Ruiz just took his heart right out, but that is just a, not a bad sign. That is an awful sign. If you're a fan of Anthony Joshua, or even more so if you are Anthony Joshua. Because for him not to continue in that fight, and listen, I'm not him, I'm not in his brain, obviously, and I'm certainly don't have, I'm not in his chest as far as his heart's concerned, but that was just a very discouraging optic to see that he just couldn't, he didn't, it was almost if he didn't want to fight. I could see if he was glassy-eyed, I could see if he was looking for his mouthpiece, I could see if he was just all over the ring, and you're like, oh, you know what, this guy's had it. No, none of that. You look in his eyes, he even said he was fine, but what was it? I didn't see any post-game comments. I think he didn't even have any post-game comments afterwards, but right before I got on, I did look to see if there was something that uh, went along the lines of, hey, what happened to you in this fight here? What was it? So, be that as it may, Andy Ruiz is now your heavyweight champion for three belts, not only that, the first Mexican-American heavyweight champion ever. And he just turned the heavyweight boxing division upside down because a lot of the talk was Anthony Joshua getting ready to possibly fight either Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Wilder. And, I, and I even tweeted this, I believe it was yesterday, how if he had that type of attitude in the ring against Ruiz, what would have happened if he was in the ring with Wilder? Wilder probably would have ate him alive. If that was the case. So now you have all this topsy-turviness going on with the... Now is, is it going to be Ruiz fighting Wilder or Fury? Are you going to see a rematch with Ruiz and Joshua anytime soon? So that's what, that's what happened. So Joshua, I don't know. He's going to have to either regroup, refocus, or even worse, I hate to say lay on the couch and kind of assess everything that happened and see if this is something that he really wants to do. Now, I understand that may be a little bit strong, but based on what I saw that night, that was just, like I said, certainly not encouraging, to say the least. And if you're a fight fan and you're looking at this guy and you're thinking, oh my God, he's going to be the next big, big thing, and okay, anybody could lose. We get that. But for him just to kind of stare off into the distance as if, eh, that he wasn't even there. Like his body was there, but where was everything else? It was just terrible. I, I don't even know what else to say about that. Just just awful. And now you have the French Open. You also have another fight this week too. You have Triple G coming to the garden uh, for those out there. And uh, we'll certainly see how that uh, unfolds there Saturday night. So you have back-to-back fights in the garden, which is good. And as I said weeks ago, trying to get back into the boxing thing. Long knows my ship has been out to sea with boxing, but hey, 
with all these fights and these fighters that are coming up through the ranks, certainly got to pay attention. I got to deliver it. This is a sports podcast. Uh, you know, I'm just not going to push it aside and me be that old crusty guy to get off my lawn. No, can't do that. So we'll uh, stay in tune with the boxing. And lastly, with the French Open, you have uh, Serena ousted and the Osaka's also from the women's side. And then the men's, you have uh, Novak Djokovic, who's going for his 10th straight quarterfinal on the clay, and Rafael Nadal still there, and we all know, we all know that Nadal's the king of the clay. So we'll see who gets uh, championed this uh, Sunday out in Roland Garros. And to close out, my hero and zero of the week, and this happened just, seemed like minutes right after I recorded the podcast last week, but my hero, and sadly for the second week in a row, has to be somebody who is Long left us, but uh, Bill Buckner is a hero, and for more ways than one, not only fighting dementia and dying at the age of 69, which is a shame, but we all know the story about Bill Buckner. We don't need to get into the specifics, but considering what happened afterwards and all the abuse that he had taken, considering the career he had, over 2,500 hits, was a solid first baseman when he played Dodgers, Cubs, in particular the Cubs, as everybody uh, will remember him, though, as a Red Sox, but had just just a great career. Uh, not a Hall of Fame career, but certainly when you have 2,500 hits and you played in the era that he did from the 70s into the late 80s, certainly just a was just a solid player. All-star player, good hitter, and for all the abuse that he took, which was, and I get it, it was the angst of the Red Sox fan that hadn't seen a world championship, and we all know that was game six of the 86 World Series, but everything that he had to deal with afterwards and even living in Boston, but having to move out to, I believe it was Montana, somewhere out Wyoming, wherever it was, just to get away from everything. They had to wait till 2005 after the Red Sox won a World Series to kind of make amends for the fans to accept them again. Yeah, I went through a lot. And with that just being said, and that's just for baseball, which was a major part of his life. But to think that he had to endure all that, that that one error defined who he was as a baseball player, it was just preposterous. So... My thoughts, prayers, a week later to the Buckner family as he moves on, uh, leaving us at the age of 69. So that's my hero goes out to him. We had Bart Starr last week, talked about him. That was my hero. And the zero of the week, uh, listen, I don't get involved in personal lives by any stretch of imagination, but Jay Bruce, who was just traded to the Phillies yesterday because... He's going to be a fixture in the outfield. Do you think he's going to play left or right? Maybe they're going to move Harper to center because of Odubel Herrera, who now has this domestic violence charge hanging over his head. And Again, everybody ticks differently. I'm not trying to tell Odubel Herrera what to do with his life. I'm not trying to say he has to be this type of person. Or No, I'm not here to be judge, jury, and executioner, that's for sure. But we all know in this day and age, and we've seen it, whether you're Aroldis Chapman, whether you're... Jeru's Familia, whether you're Addison Russell, we all know in any sport, but I'm just talking baseball in particular since he's a baseball player, center field of Phillies, you got to know, you got to be smart, you got to be wise. If a situation starts to get a little heated and a little intense, sometimes you just got to take a deep breath and walk away. And unfortunately, he didn't do so. I understand more details to come, but just sad to see that a baseball player, a major league baseball player, has to go through this. Uh, again, it's his doing. And obviously, I wasn't there, so I don't know all the details. So I'm, I'm not here to be, again, the guy to say, oh, shame on you. But it doesn't make him look good. 
puts him in a bad light, puts the organization in a bad light. So with that being said, he's the zero of the week, and I hope that whatever he's going through, he's able to get himself together, go through whatever programs he needs to go through because you know something's going to come down as far as the suspension is, going to, is concerned. But hopefully he can get his act together, get himself straight, suffer the consequences, pay the piper, and then come back. And although we know he's a human rain delay in the box and he's just tough to watch in that regard, but still, as a person, you want him to get back righted and hopefully to where he needs to be. But unfortunately for this week, he's my zero of the week. All right, everybody, that's it uh, for this week's podcast. Uh, Hope to tune in maybe later this week. I don't know. I'm trying to line up something here. But uh, we all know each and every Monday I'm on the podcast delivering everything that's happening in the world of sports. Please, for those who listen for the first time, if you like what I had to say, go to any of the podcast platforms that you subscribe to. Uh, Of course, I'm on quite a few of them. Apple, Google, uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary. Please leave a rating, post a review. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the plethora of podcasts in this universe. And hopefully, in turn, that will not only generate more interest with guests, future guests, whatever it may be. So if you could do that for me, I would be sincerely forever indebted to you guys. So if you could do that, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. Not only that, but you could also follow me on any of my social media accounts, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels 1, just a number, on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook page, and the email address is thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can hit me a DM on any of the aforementioned social media platforms. Please, I implore you to do so. Whatever it is, questions, comments, criticism, praise, I'm open to all of it. Trust me. I want this podcast to be ranked with one of the greats. And with your contribution in doing that, please take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram. Let the world know that for a guy here in New York City who's doing this independently, that's right, out of my pocket, and I do it for the love. So it's not as if I'm, hey, you guys owe me. No, 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 no. I'm doing this because I want to do this because this is my passion. If anybody who's known me, followed me, I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm going to continue to do this until I die. But your support is immense, and your little contribution will even go that much more higher, and I just implore you to do that, and I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart as I deliver sports to you, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, the gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the j Podcast, on the flip, baby.